May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Not only have we have any little problem with that computer, there's a problem with some of the microphones, particularly actually with me and also with Cynthia, so if things drop out. So I'm using that one and this one to make certain that the whole thing appears. We're going to be singing at the end, The Church is One Foundation, with the line, with, with, the, with which the vision glorious, the saints are blessed. This is all saints' day. But what's glorious about the church at the moment? It would appear to be not so glorious at all. Even going back uh, a century, the atheist theologian Friedrich Nietzsche um, said, I would believe in the Redeemer, maybe, if some of the redeemed looked redeemed and behaved redeemed. We've had child abuse inquiries. We've had sexual exploitation. We've had a dreadful report on the French Roman Catholic Church. We've had reports on children's homes that have been run by church bodies, all of which have been an appalling listening of, of exploitation and um, of abuse. And apparently passing for normal practice until it was exposed. Yes, we're appalled by it. There's a little bit of us that actually uh, thinks sometimes, how much is this church really worth belonging to? Is something severely wrong here? Has something gone so badly wrong we need to find something else in its place? And yet there's also, there's probably a little voice as well that says, but it's not supposed to be that way. It's not really meant to be like that. Why has it happened? What has gone wrong? And we share our shame with the church, with our shame for ourselves as well, because we feel that we've not fulfilled our Christian commitment. We often feel that we are unworthy um, to be regarded as part of, of, of the church. Often people don't come to church, those outside, not because they don't believe, but because they do, and they think they don't believe enough and they think they will be judged by coming, that they cannot come and say words that they feel, actually, I cannot with integrity sing or pray these words. And yet somehow or other we know deep down that it ought to be better, that our faith, if you like, ought to be the wind in our sails that takes us through life. Okay, with storms and with the occasional rock and the difficult passage on the way, but ultimately to a heavenly future. So where's that vision glorious got to? Can we achieve it? Or is this a bit of a, a, a pious, in particularly Anglo-Catholic thinking in the days when Samuel Stone wrote that hymn? Or is there something there to be grasped hold of? Well, I think there is, and it goes back quite a long way goes back at least to St. Irenaeus in Lyon, Bishop of Lyon, who one of his most famous sayings is the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Yes, he knew about human beings as failures. He knew about human beings doing dreadful things in the name of the church. He knew about human beings um, <clears throat> whose conduct was reprehensible. And yet the glory of God was a human being fully alive. 
Am I fully alive? Are you fully alive? Or is it a question you'd really rather not face sometimes? How do we get from there to where we should be? Well, the first answer that is, has normally been given within the church is actually, it doesn't matter. You're justified. Christ has paid the penalty for your sins. You have been made righteous before God. The burden of your past life has rolled away. You can thank God for his forgiveness. But it's not as easy as that, because there has to be something else that comes after that. And I was reading recently an account of Sam Wells, who's vicar of St. Martin in the Fields, talks of a friend of his uh, who took his family to visit Dachau concentration camp. And his son was asking him, as they came out, there was a church just outside the gates of the concentration camp. And the son said, Daddy, is that a, that a Christian church? Uh, yes, it is, son. Um, do you think that the commandant and the guards actually maybe worshipped in that church on a Sunday? Um, I think they probably did. Did they pray to God and ask God to forgive them their sins? I think they probably did. And did they then go back and kill lots of Jews? I think they probably did. How does that work, Daddy? I don't know. It doesn't. And that's the problem if you stop still with the justification. It's not enough. Lives have got to change. Leslie Newbegin gave a very helpful illustration of what the life of the church should exhibit. It should be both a sign, it should be an instrument, and it should be a foretaste of the kingly rule of God. It should be a sign pointing to something beyond itself, that we should be pointing to that which is beyond us, knowing we've not arrived, we're on the journey. We don't pretend to anybody that you've got to be really wonderful and perfect to worship here in St Paul and St Stephen. Actually, it would probably help if you weren't wonderful and perfect. It would make us all feel terribly guilty. It's a church for the broken, for those who need to know that there is something bigger and better, a sign in the future. And it's an instrument, a means of bringing the love of God into the lives of people, both objectively and subjectively. In the lives of the people of us, we don't say to people, or very, very few Christians, I would hope, would say to anybody, oh, well, you just need to do what I've done. We've arrived. Uh, we, we, we've got the glory. We've got it all sorted out. Just believe A, B, and C, and do X, Y, and Z, and you'll be fine. No, it's more, as was explained to me at one point some time ago. We're simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And all we have to say is, all I can say is, I have found bread. I have found that which sustains my life, my spiritual life. I have found that little glimmer of light that is the divine that I strain towards. I'll tell you how I did it, but it, it might not work for you. you. You might find a slightly different path. But I want to share with you where I have found the bread in my life. 
And as Christians, actually, we haven't done too badly in that area. An awful lot of the, the instruments of the gospel of showing the love of Christ in our community have got Christians thoroughly involved, if not actually founding, but very strongly involved. The food bank. You say we shouldn't need to have food banks, but we've got one, and there's a lot of churches and Christians are involved in that. The street pastors, that's an entirely Christian organisation to rescue people so that a night out in the, in the town doesn't turn into a disaster. Garrus, certainly not all Christians, but a huge number. The city mission, feeding the homeless, the open table. Yes, we have been an instrument of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. But it can't just stay there. Because the problem is, is that if it simply stays there, uh, we're simply a form of religious social worker. Yes, maybe it's right that we do the things that the state either can't or won't provide for. But we've got to go a stage further than that. Back in the 1960s, there was a big project on the South Bank called the South Bank Project, uh, the Diocese of Southwark, had put it, and put a lot of resources and money um, into resourcing the church in very difficult areas uh, on the south bank of the Thames. And it appeared in many ways to be very successful, but the man who led it ultimately left the Christian ministry and became director of social services for Southwark um, Borough Council because he saw that that was actually what he was doing. And if you like, the Christian side of it had tended to disappear. It has to be a sign and an instrument, but also a foretaste of that which is to come. And we've had some of that in our readings. A foretaste in the readings that we've had today, that wonderful reading from Revelation of the new heaven and new earth, of every so often there's a little glimpse that we feel as if maybe uh, we've just crept into the back row of the heavenly choir and somehow we can see that, yes, there is this to come. We've been given the down payment of it. Paul explains this quite clearly, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us by God, if you like, as the down payment on all that is yet to come. So the life that we live in the Spirit is actually the life of God. I'm going to say back in prehistory, when I was an academic physicist, um, I had to uh, grow crystals to, to use in the experiments that I was using. Uh, in fact, it was quite a difficult process for some of them. Uh, my predecessors had it easier uh, with slightly bigger ones, and we got some wonderful samples in a cupboard in the laboratory I worked in with, with highly esoteric names uh, like Prysidinium ethyl sulfate and Cirrus magnesium nitrate. Um, and the ones that I worked on, which was incredibly difficult and a bit hazardous to deal with, uh, gadolinium arsenate. Um, and so we actually had pr professional crystal growers make these. But the way in which you made these crystals was interesting. You would get a solution that we'd call supersaturated, so it was heavily saturated with the, the compound you want to make. And then you'd take a very tiny little crystal that you'd got, you wanted a bigger one, and you'd drop it in and you'd wait, and it would 
trigger a reaction inside that solution and a much bigger crystal would grow. And you know, the world that we live in is saturated with the love of God. Ruth has come back from uh, some binos uh, uh, where Gerard Manley Hopkins was a student at one point, so you can't avoid Hopkins at St. Binos. But one of Hopkins' poems is God's grandeur, that the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from a shook foil. And that's because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with our bright wings. And that God dropped his son if you like, into the supersaturated solution of our world, saturated with the grandeur of God, that the world didn't recognise and the world didn't see. But out of that grew a redemption for all humankind. Out of that grew the start of the new heaven and the new earth. Out of that grew the glory which is yet to come. But more than that, Follow that one through more than that. Because we also have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and we are dropped into that same world um, charged with God's grandeur. And what's going to grow from us? It won't be the same. But something will grow. It has to. And the question is, is, can we recognise it? And can we... Can we take it? Can we offer it to the world as the foretaste of the glory of God? As a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste. Quoted Hopkins, another one of my favourite poets, is George Herbert. And in his uh, poem, The Elixir, which actually becomes the hymn, Teach Me My God and King, it ends, This is the famous stone that turneth all to gold. For that which God does touch and own cannot for less be told. That's you and me. That's a, that's a human being living their life fully, charged with the glory of God. That's a human being fully alive. So let's as all saints live that life out in a world charged with the grandeur of God. Amen.